Hello, this is Mike Biffle, creator of Thomas Was Alone and John Wick Hex, and you're listening to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 47 of the Xbox Expansion Pass recorded on Sunday, August 30th, 2020. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. In this episode, we discuss the arrival of veteran leadership to 343 in the aid of Halo Infinite. Marvel's Avengers and Call of Duty pricing structures have begun to raise eyebrows ahead of their launch, and the Xbox UI is getting an update ahead of the Xbox Series X. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XEP, discussing all things in the Gamerverse as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And as I want to do each and every week, I want to start off this week's show by thanking someone within the XEP community for making my week better. And this week we offer words of thanks and kindness to Lord Cognito from the Iron Lords podcast. Lord Cog is constantly retweeting and supporting this show, supporting me, and Cog was recently featured over on Podcast Unlocked, which is the world's number one Xbox podcast hosted by Ryan McCaffrey. It was fantastic to see Lord Cog over there representing ILP well. His, his, all his accolades of late are well-earned, he's well-spoken, he's a good man, and I can't thank him enough for bra- making my week better each and every week. So Lord Cog, shout out to you. Thank you so much, man. And what a week of news it has been from AAA pricing schemes and structures going into next-gen Halo Infinite news, of course, and plenty of Game Pass goodness to discuss. We start this week by talking about Halo Infinite, which is back in the news after seemingly the game can't seem to catch a break. Of course, it was shown and debuted over at Xbox's E3 equivalent a few weeks ago. The game looked fun. I'm on the record as saying I really liked a lot of what I saw from Halo Infinite but it cannot be argued that the game did not impress visually in terms of a technological scale sense. It didn't seem to showcase the best and and most impressive of what would seemingly be the first showcase title to the Xbox Series X, and uh, whether it was for that reason or something else, they attributed COVID as a primary factor to the delay. They moved the game into 2021, missing the Xbox Series X release date. And now it seems the game may have been in more trouble than we were initially led to believe of course, that's there's plenty of PR spins to take into this. There's the rumor mill that can circulate and make things seem to be more than what they are. But there is no doubt, and Microsoft has confirmed that uh, several voices are returning to help the game make its launch into 2021. Chief among those voices is a name that Halo fans will recognize as Joseph Staten has been announced to be returning to the Halo franchise and joining the Halo Infinite team to help get the game ready for its launch in what we still believe to be 2021. If you are unfamiliar with Joseph Staten, he is a name that is well-versed within the Halo community and the Xbox community overall. He initially worked on Halos 1, 2, and 3 while he worked at Bungie. He was in a writing and cinematic capacity while he was there. So Staten's pedigree with Halo alone is well-versed in some of the best-received Halo games in the entire franchise, working with 1, 2, and 3. So well-respected was his writing work that despite having never written a novel, Staten was approached to write the novel Contact Harvest, which he did. 
He's also written the ebook novella Shadow of Intent. Staten's writing is top-notch in the gaming community and well-respected within Halo fans, particularly because that was the, the heyday and the best of the best undisputed Halo content amongst the majority of the Halo community while it was within Bungie's realm. Uh, similarly, you have to, to note that Staten worked with Bungie for a long time before leaving after working on Destiny and the initial writings of Destiny, uh, but he left in, I believe it was 2013, and then arrived back at Microsoft in 2014 where he worked on various projects seemingly helping get a lot of games launched most recently he helped with tell me why get that game out there uh he also worked on crackdown 3 when that game was famously troubled for a number of reasons he helped that game make its launch after numerous delays and technology technology changes uh it, it's interesting to note that he helped get the game out there when it was seemingly broken from, from um, before prior to him getting there, which is interesting. Uh, also, Staten wrote the game ReCore, which if you are unfamiliar with ReCore, if you've not played it uh, since its very first launch, or you've never played the Definitive Edition, which is the, the way the game should have launched, ReCore, pretty darn impressive game, and the story was very neat if you've not played it. I think a lot of times when people hear the words ReCore, they think Inafune, and, and I would not do that. I would, I would say you need to check out ReCore for yourself. Pretty cool game over on Game Pass, but... Staten himself, uh, someone who is certainly uh, no stranger to the industry, no stranger to Halo, and has a, a resume that is built upon getting games to ship uh, and getting them out there, whether they are troubled or not. And uh, man, it is it is nice to see Joseph Staten is back working with Halo because his work is so well respected. However, it raises my eyebrows in a couple capacities in that we have seen Bungie, when they were in charge of the Halo franchise, they put out Halos 1, 2, 3, ODST, and Reach, in roughly the same amount of time that we've seen 343 put out Halo 4 and Halo 5. Now, it cannot be debated that Halos 4 and 5 are technical achievements and masterpieces in and of themselves in a technical capacity. Now, hear me out on this before you jump to a conclusion. Halo 4 ran incredibly well on the Xbox 360, and if you're unfamiliar with those visuals, I encourage you to check out the Master Chief Collection. You could put Halo 4 visually next to most Xbox One games for the first three years that Xbox One was out, and you would not know that you were looking at a last-generation game. The story of Halo 4, very well respected, and it's an absolute blast. If you've not played it, I really love it. It is one of my favorite versions of Master Chief, and the truth is Halo 4's campaign is my favorite of all the Halo campaigns. Now, Halo 5, quite interestingly, impressive visually, very modern controls. It absolutely looks and runs wonderfully well, but the game is soulless in the world of Halo. It does not feel like Halo. There is something lacking the entire time you're playing through that campaign. And Halo 5's campaign, I would rank amongst the bottom of all the Halo stories. But technical masterpiece, it is. The controls are tight, the visuals really are jaw-dropping. It just lacked a soul, which is, is very interesting. When you look at the multiplayer aspects of 343's work, Halo 4, people were quite disappointed there, whereas Halo 5, they were quite pleased. So they've yet to hit it out of the park as a complete package. Whereas when you look at the history of Halo, uh, you had a lot more wins and, and home runs with the Halo launches of Reach and I would say Halo 3 and Halo 2. Uh, and you can make an argument that Halo 1 is a product of its time. Without a doubt though, this highlights the flaws and problems with what 343 is churning out. 
and I recognize that many people are calling for, I suppose the right word, calling for leadership change, or they're signaling that Staten's arrival along with a few other veterans uh, that are arriving to 343 signals a failure in the current leadership team. And I don't, I don't know definitively how to word that thought. I'm not sure that that's entirely true. However, you cannot argue that there certainly is a problem in 343's distribution package and methodology here. Uh, Halo 5, very profitable. The rec packs and a number of the online community just absolutely enamored with that game, and it sold very well for its time considering that it came out on the OG Xbox One prior to even the Xbox One S. you must also recognize that the Master Chief Collection has been fully repaired and is really run, running beautifully, and there's a lot to be celebrated there. But when you've put out two games compared to the number of the number, the amount of funding you're getting, and quite a few of the comparative studios throughout the industry and the products that they are putting out, I do think it's fair to question whether or not 343 is doing everything properly and appropriately. Whether Staten's arrival means that they'll get back on track uh, remains to be seen, certainly. Halo Infinite looks to be a platform delivering content at a faster pace than what you might expect. There are technical aspects to this that we have to factor in and that nobody in the public has played Halo Infinite. And while I feel the game looked extremely fun, nobody knows and has gone hands-on to note that that is the case or is not. Does it feel like Halo? It looks like Halo, whereas Halo 5 did not but this looks like Halo of yore. I also think we must acknowledge that 343 has lost touch with what it is that sells video games to the youth, and they are caught in this very awkward dilemma of having to sell to new fans and younger fans who, simply put, are not enamored with Halo. You can talk to most younger gamers, poll most younger gamers, and they are familiar with Call of Duty, they are familiar with Fortnite, they are familiar with Apex even, but the demographics that that are are in, I would say, the the 15 years old and younger, simply don't seem to be interested in, in Halo as a franchise. And Halo Infinite looks like it was marketed and set up to appeal to that group in terms of gameplay aesthetics, but capture the fans of old. And what a strange place that that, that is to have to preach and talk to older Halo fans and yet bring in new people. And I think that's why Halo Infinite was meant to be a platform. Uh, I think that's why the multiplayer is free. I think that's why you're seeing a lot of the decisions be made there. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what challenges 343 faces on the back end, on the side that we don't see, public facing. They have to be extensive given all that Microsoft seems to be trying to do to bring Halo back to relevance, which includes a TV show, which includes transmedia aspects of marketing, which includes uh, marketing into mobile spaces, utilizing xCloud, utilizing uh, the Xbox family of devices from Xbox One through into the series set of devices. I, I do not know the burdens that that, that is shown. I do feel, from the outside looking in, that being the burden showcase piece, 343 and Halo Infinite was not ready to sell Xbox Series Xs. For them to showcase, receive the feedback they did, delay, then bring in new voices, seems to signal that there is more going on than meets the eye, and I think that's understood and expected when we are amateurish, uh, amateurly passing judgment and, and wondering these things. Uh, I do think, though, that calls for disbanding of the studio or firing everybody or changing everything it are a bit 
a bit silly and a bit premature. There is no doubt whatsoever that 343 is an incredibly talented studio, that their resumes boast and speak for themselves in many ways. Uh, whether or not 343 should move off of Halo into something else after Infinite's launch, I think you can make a good case to say maybe they should try something new. Two games compared to the the studios that are of equal or higher value throughout the industry and the qualities and products they are putting out certainly suggest that maybe they do need something different. Maybe they're not equipped to handle Halo in the ways that we would think. But uh, regardless, seeing Joseph Staten arrive to the studio brings a glimmer of hope in my eyes. I like Staten a lot. I love his work. Uh, I think that we will we'll get to pass more judgment later on, and a lot of our our amateur outside-looking-in stories will be clarified and, and offered more sincere information down the line. The bottom line is Halo Infinite just has to be great. It cannot be good. It cannot be one piece of a game. It cannot be missing something special the way that Halos 4 or 5 might have been. It's got to be great. And if that means they bump into Holiday 2021 or later... They need to do it. They've missed their window on being a Showcase Series X piece. I would argue they've missed their window on needing to be on Xbox One. If you're not in there in the first year, what's the point? By then, people should be transitioning into next-gen, utilizing their PCs, utilizing their xClouds, or moving into the Series set of devices if Series S is to be as affordably priced as we expect. If you missed your first year, ditch Xbox One support. I don't, I don't see that as necessary. Or... Set up two builds, similar to Titanfall One and Titanfall um, Titanfall One on Xbox 360 and the Xbox One. I, I it's frustrating, guys. I know it's difficult. There's so much information we are not privy to. But bottom line, I'm glad Staten is arriving. I'm glad we're going to see something worthwhile there, and uh, I look forward to when we can talk about Halo Infinite reflectively as opposed to prospectively, because all the speculation is, ooh, it's tiring and, and frustrating. Now, on from Halo Infinite, which is off in the distance to something that's going to be more immediately interesting, at least to follow along in terms of stories, there are two big games this, this fall that I think we need to mention the pricing structures and the analytics for. As the industry is adjusting the prices for premium products, we've seen Ubisoft and Microsoft say they're going to hold at $60. We've seen uh, Take-Two, Interactive, and Activision seemingly look like they're bumping into the $70 range. And there's nothing wrong with the ebb and flow of, of economies. I think games right now are more expensive to develop for than they ever have been before, and similarly are cheaper in terms of inflation rates to purchase than they ever have been. And we've not seen a price jump in terms of the, the standard price, the standard MSRP of console games go up since the Xbox 360 days when it jumped from 50 to 60. So it certainly would make sense that uh, we would see pricing adjustments. However, we're seeing some, some awkwardness amongst that as uh, most recently it was announced that Marvel's Avengers okay, would have an exclusive character over in one community with Spider-Man going to the PlayStation side will be a premium $60 to $80 buy-in on any platform. Okay, so that's standard. That's standard normal. You have a deluxe edition at $80, $60 piece uh, standard there. But within that, it was announced that there would be $10 battle passes, cosmetic battle passes, I might add, strictly cosmetic, no gameplay differences, per character within the $60 premium title. Lots of debate about this on Twitter. I felt initially quite icky about it. Icky, interesting word to choose there, but it, it really does kind of make me feel uncomfortable to think that a premium game like this will be selling battle passes per character 
within their own game. That bothers me a bit. $10 battle passes for cosmetics. If I want to level up Iron Man, I need to pay 10 bucks to, to get new cosmetics and rank those up. It's a method of keeping people in the community, and we must mention also that you can level up Iron Man fully, and that'll give you enough in-game currency to purchase the next battle pass for your next character. The issue comes in with simultaneous gameplay. If I have a battle pass for Iron Man, I can work on that battle pass, but if I'm playing in a group with somebody else who's playing as Iron Man, then I have to use my, my version of Hulk. And what do I do with that battle pass? Do I buy that one outright and try to build currency on two titles? And the simultaneous progression there, the, the idea that you have to use only, or you can buy m with money a battle pass for one character, but you might not get to work on it within your group, that's the part that feels icky to me. You've got a premium game, with a battle pass combined with, with a few other aspects that irks me. It just bothers me a little bit. Some people seem to be very okay with this idea. They're equating it to Fortnite and to Call of Duty in some cases. I would argue and push back against that logic in that Fortnite is a free-to-play game and that Call of Duty has an entire free-to-play element, something that Avengers does not. Similarly, based on my experience with the beta, I was quite disappointed in the, the overall quality of the game. One cannot argue the quality of Call of Duty Warzone. One cannot argue the quality of Fortnite and the reach that those games have. I'm not sure Avengers is going to land there. I strongly felt in my beta experiences that Marvel's Avengers was a master of none. It was good. It was not great. The, the animations were good, not great. The visuals good, not great. The way the players and the characters felt was good, not great. Being, and it has the unfortunate burden of, you know, when you play as Thor, you're going to compare it to God of War. Play as Iron Man, you're going to compare it to Avengers or other reasonable flight games. When you compare it to uh, the combat of Cap or ba Black Widow, you're going to compare it to Batman. I mean, that's, that's a burden that I would never wish on any studio, but it never felt premium enough to justify this amount of, ex of spending into the game. That said, the game has not come out yet. I was provided a review code. Nothing is the, the servers aren't live. We have not started that yet, so I have plenty to to consider before I recommend or not recommend this idea. I can just tell you that it makes me uncomfortable to think of the pricing structure. I will play the game, give it an objective review, let you know whether or not I feel this is appropriate. They didn't provide battle pass review codes, so I won't get to factor that in. Uh, there, there's something to think about there. Also, interestingly, within the pricing structure analytics of going forward, I mentioned Call of Duty. Call of Duty has the weirdest distribution of methods for you to play Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. And that's, a, that's, ooh, that's a mouthful to say. There are multiple versions, and they are skew-specific in many cases, depending on what you want to play and how. You are not going to get smart delivery upgrades for Call of Duty this year, which is weird and you can actively see a, a disparity between Microsoft wanting to use smart delivery, Cyberpunk and, and uh, several other games, Square Enix included, the, including the Avengers which we just talked about. You see companies that want to actively use smart delivery and you see others pushing back against it. Call of Duty is pushing back in the oddest and strangest of ways. There are 10 versions of Call of Duty Cold War that you could purchase at launch. 10 versions and you're gonna have to pay extra if you want the higher frame rates and better resolutions of the xbox series x and playstation 5 than you would on your ps4 ps4 pro or xbox one and xbox one x there's no free patch to just upgrade you you have to buy a specific version there's cross-gen versions for 70 bucks there's ultimate editions for 90 bucks 
If you want to buy the PlayStation 4 version, you can get that for 60. If you want the Xbox One version, there's not a physical version specifically available, but there is if you buy the next-gen, cross-gen version. It's, it's just a mess of marketing and messaging, and it's clear in my mind that Activision is push, pushing back against smart delivery and, and purposely seeming to avoid um, that method of distribution in order to gain the most money. When you are one of the leading games in the world, I think you have that clout and that power. Uh, we've seen that be used in the opposite direction in terms of cyberpunk. Companies will make their choices based on the monies they feel they can make. Square Enix and Call of Duty are the examples I'm showing here uh, with Avengers and the way Cold War is operating. We must vote with our wallets in this case. If you're fine with this, rock on. Enjoy the game. Buy the version you want. Do it. If you're not, I do not advocate the idea of slandering and going off on social media and then quietly buying the game yourself. Silly. Don't do that. Okay, if you are so troubled by this method, by this uh, company's decision to, to change the prices, manipulate smart delivery, or just go a different route, then don't buy the game. Don't buy the game, and don't worry about it. There's plenty of other things to play. If you want to play Avengers, buy it. Play it. Why not? Call of Duty, buy it. Play it. You know what you're getting in, those, in, in Call of Duty at the very least. Uh, you get the same thing every year, and many people love that. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, it's It's... I think it's become too easy and too common to just say something haphazard on social media about boycotting or, oh, vote with your wallet and then and then slandering something. No, I would say really and truly companies will hear you by way of, of transaction, by way of monetary dispensation, by way of uh, buying the game or not, spending money in the game or not. And, and I do this regularly myself. I actively avoid spending money within certain games if I feel they are uh, being manipulative or not offering very fair value to their customers and similarly if i'm getting something for an incredible value and i want to continue to support that the current pay models i will buy those in-game microtransactions or send money to a game that i might have gotten in game pass we vote with our wallets we need to be logical and appropriate in the way that we use that money so that companies hear us appropriately the majority of people that are going to buy call of duty are not on twitter they're not on Instagram and, and, and following that. They're not interested in, in that aspect. So why would the company worry when, when a very small fraction of their social media is being blown up in that respect? I would strongly recommend vote with your wallet and vote appropriately. This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief Sierra 117 with a shout out to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Keep your heads up during this time of isolation. Stay positive, play some games. Most importantly, finish the fight. Thanks for listening to XEP. Master Chief, out. Many Xbox users are now getting a preview to the Series X dashboard by way of their Xbox Ones as Microsoft is currently rolling out a UI update as they are wont to do every single year with little cleanups and improvements here and there. But uh, the latest update seems to make things a lot cleaner across the dashboard, specifically the store I'm thinking of. Things are snappier to load, they're easier to navigate, and if this is a preview to what we're going to see in the Series X, I myself am very encouraged by this. It is, it is no doubt that um, amongst the big three, PlayStation, Nintendo, and Xbox, uh, each of the UIs have a very different interface. You have the very Spartan approach of the Nintendo Switch. I would say the still Spartan approach of the PlayStation 4 that uh, was very easy to navigate, I might add, at launch for PlayStation 4, but has 
now become a bit more cluttered and difficult given how busy the ecosystem is now on the PlayStation side. And I would say Xbox has got a higher learning curve than both. There's a lot going on in that Xbox UI, but you can do a lot more with it. You have the the Android approach, uh, seemingly, of, of Microsoft and the Apple approach of Nintendo and Sony somewhere in between. Uh, but I like this new UI, at least based on what I'm seeing on my current Xbox One. I like the idea that load times and, and snappier features across the network will continue to improve with the Xbox Series set of devices. And I'm curious to see how well received it is on the console reviews whenever those come out. You know, when you have Tom's Guide and Forbes and everybody diving in and breaking down how the systems work and what they have to offer on a technological sense. The UI makes up a big factor within how people receive that content. And so uh, I'm, I'm glad to see it's happening. We get, we get new UIs every year. There's no doubt that from the Xbox One 2013 all the way to now, it's, it's a far better system to, to, to see it continuing to be improved and iterated on as opposed to full clean slate with the Xbox Series X. I find that very encouraging. I'm sure some people have different thoughts. You can always write in your thoughts to me on what you think about any of the things we discuss here on XEP. You can tweet me at insipidghost, or of course you can email me insipidghost at gmail.com. Let me know what you think if you've gotten the UI update or not. Are you interested in seeing uh, something totally different, or are you happy with what you got? In this last segment prior to Reader Mail, I wanted to take a moment and stop and look at some of the things we're getting in Game Pass from Microsoft's year thus far. Uh, We're in in a year where so much has happened in the gaming space due to COVID, due to, to social justice issues, due to the way we're rolling out new systems, and due to the fundamentally different business principles between Sony and Microsoft, we're getting a lot of comparative data. And I wanted to take a step back and look at some of the data and the way that Microsoft is seemingly approaching uh, their next gen with hardware being a far smaller portion of what they believe to be their primary impact. And Game Pass leading the charge in their methodology. Where Sony's put out, you know, Last of Us 2 and Ghost of Tsushima to extreme critical and user acclaim, I want to take a step back and look at what Microsoft is doing with Game Pass. I'm going to list some of the games that have come out thus far this year uh, and, and go with their Metacritic scores, which is a flawed way of examining value, but a metric that we constantly use throughout the industry. Recently, and in this past week, day and date into Game Pass, we got Wasteland 3 and Tell Me Why, with Wasteland 3, of course, launching on multiple systems, but landing an 86 on Metacritic, and Tell Me Why getting a 74 on Metacritic, which seems to make sense given Doltnod's pedigree and storytelling if they're into those kind of games. It sounds like, based on all the reviews, that Doltnod has done it again and to an incredible feat uh, in and of themselves. Props on that one, but the Metacritic did land on 74. Microsoft Flight Simulator launched at a 92. Battletoads recently launched at a 73. Gears of War Tactics came out earlier this year with an 80. Minecraft Dungeons came out earlier this year with a 70. Grounded had its early access preview, and I'm not listening to the Metacritic score there because it's an early access title. And Age of Empires 3 Definitive Edition comes out later this year on October 15th. Those games are all day and date into Game Pass from the first party realm. From the first party realm, I say. And I say that because several of those games are multi-platform on you know Sony, Sony devices. Of course, they'll all be on PC due to Microsoft's philosophy, which I believe to be a good one. Uh, but there's a lot of value to be had there, all of them ranking 70s or higher. 
you could make a strong case to say that while well, you're not getting those AAA Golden Boy, you know, 95s and up uh, Metacritic scores, and I think you'd be accurate in that. So much so that uh, Jeff Keighley took a lot of flack recently on Twitter um, due to his comment that that Sony is like HBO and Game Pass is like basic cable. And I totally know what his the spirit of what he said was. I understand what he was going for. You get a lot of comfortable quality in Game Pass, systemically uh, systemically re- releasing titles. You you know you're going to get fun games to play across a lot of genres, but you may not get that that top-tier, best premium movie that comes out once a year or twice a year. You're not going to get that in the Game Pass realm. I think Microsoft wants that to be the case in a few years, or they wanted it to be with Halo Infinite. Uh, you could also make a comment to say that Forza is, is tr- certainly one of those top-tier games. I think you can make... Uh, an argument to say that Sea of Thieves is now up there. I don't think it lands in quite the same mindshare aspect. I mean, I'm certainly having... Goodness, I just hit Pirate Legend. I am loving Sea of Thieves lately. But to the spirit of what we're saying here, Game Pass is rolling with high-quality titles, but it's lacking the big umph AAA 95 or better titles. Uh, Flight Simulator seems to be the one that's landing in that category, or at least closest to it of late, and that's PC only. In fact, several of the ones I listed are currently PC only with Gears Tactics and Age of Empires 3 Definitive Edition and Flight Simulator as well. I am comfortable with this cadence. I am fine with it. I like playing fun games, and I'm having a blast with the games I'm getting from Game Pass. High quality stuff in many cases, or you know, stuff that appeals to certain groups. Battletoads is a great example of that. The game's not going to blow anybody's socks off and be 90s all around, but if you enjoy just fun co op plat- platform beat em ups, rock on. You got it right there. Uh, Wasteland 3, turn based RPG. Not my jam personally. Tons of people love those deep, uh, well thought out RPGs. So I, I like this consistent cadence, and I recognize the criticisms that we're not getting a Ghost of Tsushima or Last of Us. just hasn't happened yet. It's just not landing there. Gears 5 had a great release there. Gears 5, a great game, but not new and not fresh. So it was just something worth with noting that this year, day and date from that Xbox Game Studios realm, Wasteland 3, Tell Me Why, Microsoft Flight Simulator, Battletoads, Gears Tactics, Minecraft Dungeons, Grounded... Uh, early access, Age of Empires 3 Definitive Edition, and that's it for right now that I can note. If I missed one, of course, let me know. I'm pretty happy with that, given all the third-party and indie support Game Pass also offers. I mean, I raved about New Super Lucky's Tale last week. I'm loving that game. I'm going for the 100% 1K there. Just a fun family family title. I think you guys could make a good case that Game Pass is fantastic, consistently uh, getting better year over year. Game Pass gets a lot of accolades. There's no doubt about that. Most Xbox shows will take a moment to comment and talk about it, but I hadn't done one of those Metacritic breakdowns or at least those those thought processes where I go on that thought experiment of how it compares to other titles. Uh, and I think it's good to do that every now and again and perhaps not dwell on it too much. Best value in gaming bar none. But there's a lot of questions that have been rolling in this past week. One of them came from Famous Seamus, and he his topic was tied very much to that Game Pass game. He says... What game have you played on Game Pass that surprised you most? You went from, I guess I'll try this, to, holy crap, I love this game. And Famous Seamus, I have a lot of answers on that one. Some ones that jump into my mind, Hollow Knight. I never expected to love Hollow Knight as much as I did. That's like a 30-hour Metroidvania that is on par with the best of the best within that genre. You could make, in some cases, statements to say that it's equal or better than Ori and the Will of the Wisps, which is just, wow. Hollow Knight is definitely one of those, you know, holy crap, this game surprised me. 
Darksiders 3 I really liked. I did not expect to like Darksiders 3, but it was Darksiders 3 that got me into that franchise. And then I went back and played the old ones, and of course I loved Genesis. That came courtesy of Game Pass. Uh, a fantastic indie game called The Gardens Between. Almost a point-and-click adventure game in, in some ways, but just a beautiful two-hour experience about two friends and their bond of, of separating and friendship over the years. Gardens Between was one of them. The Messenger, I think I raved about. Dead Island, I never really got into Dead Island when that first came out, but because of Game Pass uh, and some time, not last Christmas, but the one prior, and it being available, I tried it and I just got hooked. Um, and then another cool platformer, Max and the Curse of Brotherhood. All of those are games that I played because of Game Pass that I wouldn't have otherwise, and I just loved them. I loved those experiences. And those experiences continue to roll in. They continue to roll in. There's so many that I could just spend time listing on. Uh, There's a lot to enjoy on that Game Pass platform, and, and I strongly recommend let me know your best ones. Tell me what your best Game Pass games are. Was it Sea of Thieves, and you were like, I don't need that, and I don't want to try it, and then you did because it was free, and then you're loving it? Uh, was it State of Decay, Forza? Like, what did you guys play that you loved on Game Pass and you weren't expecting to? I love stories like that. Let me know what you think. Todd Oxtra writes in, and he says, Thinking about xCloud and where it goes next, will xCloud ever allow you to stream non-Game Pass games that are in your library? Todd, absolutely, that is coming. That will happen. They will... They will allow that to be a thing because they want you buying games within their ecosystem. I think right now you're seeing them continue to perfect the technology. There's going to be some latency regardless. They want to continue to work to eliminate that. The idea that they've partnered with Razer and several other companies to bring out peripherals to push xCloud as a feature. The idea that they've been marketing it so well in South Korea using pro footballers and pro esports players to talk about Game Pass and Xbox itself over in Korea means that that technology is coming. They want you to be able to buy a la carte or via their subscription. They want you spending money via xCloud. Yes, you will be able to play your non-Game Pass games on xCloud at some point, just not right away. It's a matter of rollout and availability and making sure things continue to work. But they've been testing all the genres, fighting, racing, platforming, all on xCloud, and it's been working very well. I can tell you very comfortably, I cannot wait for my Razer Kishi to arrive. By the time you're listening to this, it should be at my house, and I'll be able to play Minecraft Dungeons or jump into Battletoads or, or Sail the Seas or whatever it else uh, on my phone, and it, it will work with a USB-C connector and, and no battery drain. I'm so excited for that. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things that xCloud has promising for it down the line. You can even stream your own games without xCloud right now on local Wi-Fi straight from your box that exists differently but still via xCloud. So that is that is a method of what you're talking about that's already available. Todd wrote in an extra question here. He says, what are your thoughts on the Series X SSD expansion cards? Comparable M- NVMe 1 terabyte, ter- 1 terabyte drives are almost $350, and those are off-the-shelf PC parts versus small form factor unique to the Series X. I have an amateur knowledge when it comes to the way that their memory is being used on the Series X and the way that these expansion cards are going to operate. I will tell you a comparative experience with the PlayStation Vita. The Vita is one of my favorite systems of all time. It, it was powerful, it was capable, it had tons of games on it, and it was proprietary memory that killed it. However, Microsoft chooses to price these things or market these things will determine how much they're worth and how much they are are truly necessary for your experience. It might be that you don't really need these right away or that you can get them later on. 
And I'm not talking about the early adopters. I'm talking about the common, common standard casual gamer. I don't know that they're going to sell all that well if they're that expensive. You should not have to spend $800 between the console and your memory to get the best experience on Series X. Then you're in PC territory. Why aren't you doing that? The whole argument for console is that you get a comfortable, uniform experience and your, your PC capabilities are narrowed down into a console experience. Whatever they do with that memory, it needs to be affordable. And if it's not, I can see people passing on it. Uh, I know that I'm not planning to buy an expansion card right away. I think that'd be a ridiculous ask if a console is $500 and the memory is $300. Um, but it'll be, you could have a Vita situation where you just ruin the whole console by needing people to buy this extra thing for that much to get a good experience out of it. Or it might just be something that we flippantly ignore. Garrett Bland writes in with a question here saying, can you name any big third-party games that can come onto Game Pass and push next-gen hardware this year? No, Garrett, I sure can't, man. I think uh, the third-party games that could have arrived in the Game Pass, the, the mark has been missed. Even if you've got uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla in Game Pass, which you don't, uh, if Cyberpunk was coming into Game Pass, which it isn't, uh, I don't think it would move Series X's more than PlayStation 5's. I simply put, the mindshare is too powerful for Sony, and the Series X was, was to be showcased by Halo Infinite, and we've long discussed how that did not work out. Uh, you may yet see Cyberpunk entering into Game Pass. I do not think you will, but you may yet. Who knows? Microsoft knows they've got a problem, and they're not able to showcase that hardware. In fact, to date, at the time of this recording, we've barely seen any on Xbox Series X gameplay, and the system's supposed to come out in November. So, uh, no, I don't think you do, man. I think the mark has been missed on that, and they are resigning themselves to knowing that that is the case. Now, maybe I'm wrong, maybe something happens on the indie space, maybe some deal gets cut, but all intents and purposes, we are seeing Sony make the deals to move hardware, and Microsoft not. And I don't know if that's the right choice, I can tell you I'm more and more frustrated as a Microsoft consumer that this is happening, and the vote with your wallet, as I pointed out earlier in the show, is going to be a factor soon, and a factor for many people within that space. But at present, I don't see any third-party game that will move units, uh, whether it's on Game Pass or not, for the Xbox Series X. Love to be proved wrong, but right now the Series X launch looks like it's going to have a, a comfortably halo-shaped shadow over it uh, for years to come until that game comes out. We'll see. Who knows? Maybe I'm wrong, but, but yeah, I think it's pretty much a done deal there. That is going to do it this week. Thank you all for writing in your questions. I'm sorry I wasn't able to get to all of them, but I hope you enjoyed this episode. I also hope you enjoyed the string of interviews we had on the past three episodes with Adam Brennecke from Grounded, Ryan McCaffrey from IGN, and of course Luis Antonio, who got a lot more spotlight than he did on XEP when he announced that James McAvoy and Daisy Ridley, along with William Defoe, would be joining the cast for 12 minutes. Uh, that was a great three-episode run there. I really enjoyed those interviews. I'm glad to see so many of you did check them out. Uh, many of you wrote in reviews on iTunes, which is so appreciated, and I thank you so much for that. Uh, several of you wrote in reviews on iTunes, really bumping me up there, and I thank you so much. Uh, if you guys are enjoying the show, please do review it. Please do share it. You can follow me on Twitter at InsipidGhost, and always feel free to email me, insipidghost at gmail.com. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Take care. Thank you.